Captain. Let's move. ABC Thursdays. Firefighters, we're family. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. The subject has explosive chemicals. Get down! With fiery romances. You're the love of my life. And Andy is finally in charge. I'm going to be the best damn captain the station has ever seen. Station 19, all new Thursdays, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. We are not going backwards. No, we are not doing this. I'm Jessica Denson, and this is Lights On. Don't forget how bright this week started. This week, the law came down on our country's predator-in-chief like never before. We've all known for far too long that Donald Trump forces his lies on the public and that he forces himself on women. But this week, a jury wrote that sentence into law. Donald Trump was found liable for sexual battery and defamation to the tune of $5 million. It was a beautiful vindication, not only for E. Jean Carroll, but for survivors around the world who have been violated and disbelieved. And the verdict that came out of that New York courtroom was a vindication for our, for our entire legal system, showing that our laws work to hold even who are presumed to be the most powerful accountable. Now, especially in that way, the E. Jean verdict really resonated with me because that's what I did when I invalidated Trump's non-disclosure agreement in court. In this fight that I initially started all by myself, I was able to show that our courts do work and they are where we have to take Trump on and take him down. Along with this beautiful progress along those lines in E. Jean's case, this week, I was thrilled to see my very own NDA precedent going the distance in another high-profile case with Trump. It's not the first time, and I'm going to share that progress with you. Notice the theme here, <laughs> progress. Well, there's even more progress here. Another woman has stepped forward to take her power back, to stand up for truth, and to use the legal system to hold the network who used to be, at least until Wednesday, the biggest enabler of fascism in this country accountable. We're going to talk about that latest defamation case against Fox News to follow in the footsteps of Dominion, Smartmatic, and another brave woman, Abby Grossberg. But the forces of darkness will try to turn us back just at the moment when we're making the greatest progress. We saw that, of course, this week with the regressive disgrace of platforming a domestic terrorist, a sexual predator, in the name of news, in the name of profits. Let just, let's just be real, in the name of greed and attention and complete reckless disregard. CNN gave Donald Trump a primetime platform to engage in the same abuse that got him into the Eugene courtroom to begin with. There is no excuse for this. No justification. Yes, there are all kinds of information silos in this country, but the most dangerous one, notably the one I used to live in, was just validated and fortified by the actions of CNN this week. Boy, do we have our work cut out for us. Now, there's one thing that that despicable town hall did for me. It reminded me of heroes for freedom and democracy and human rights around the world who have put their lives on the line to save us from tyrants like Donald Trump. Last but not least, I'm going to shine a bright light on just a few of them. And I have the best person to share all this news with you this week. 
host and star of Legal AF, Karen Friedman Agnifilo, back from a world tour globetrotter. <laughs> Welcome, Karen, to Lights On. Well, thank you for having me. And I'm a little jet lagged, but I'm thrilled to be here. So thank you so much for asking me to be here. I've had so many people. I've just been doing this show for two months and I've gotten so many comments and requests. They said, please have Karen on Lights On. So mm -hmm. it's officially ladies night on the Midas Touch Network. Karen and Jessica. Great to <laughs> you. Yeah. So I really want to just start with um, where we started this week with the beautiful, beautiful verdict, um, almost a full victory for E. Jean Carroll, where she was um, awarded $5 million in damages. Donald Trump was found liable for sexual abuse and defamation. Can you tell me, Karen, where I remember over the summer we we were sharing a panel in the midst of those January sixth hearings. Um, one of the one of the ones that I really remember so well is after that Shea Moss and Ruby Freeman uh, hearing, where we were all yeah. so so moved. I was brought to tears. You were you were you had such kind of, if I remember correctly, impatience and indignation that it was just the victims up until that point of Trump that were, were holding him accountable. Our, our, our justice system, the prosecutors, had not yet taken that step. Um, and again, a victim this week, E. Jean Carroll, took a major step towards justice. Where, where do you fall with all this, Karen? Yeah, I mean, she's, uh, you know, so courageous. And, you know, her lawyer, Robbie Kaplan or Roberta Kaplan is she's one of the great uh, plaintiffs lawyers in this country. You know, she's the lawyer who um, is responsible for arguing successfully the Defense of Marriage Act in the Supreme Court of the United States. And, you know, obviously, gay marriage is now legal uh, across the country. And, and that's Robbie Kaplan, this lawyer. And, and she took on the E. Jean Carroll case, I think, for similar reasons, because it was such an important case that, you know, E. Jean Carroll was so incredibly courageous to uh, have the strength to come forward knowing that she would be criticized and cross-examined and, and frankly, uh, re-violated the way she was by the defense attorney in that case, Joe Tacopina. And she needed a strong lawyer to defend her. And she had Robbie Kaplan by her side and her team. And, and she really is one, one of the great lawyers and will go down as, as one of the, the great lawyers of our time. Um, and, you know, E. Jean Carroll, Miss Carroll, you know, really, I, I give her a lot of credit. You know, she, she didn't, she, she was very honest and, and said, I don't, remember exactly when the date was. It was 95 or 96. Her friend helped, you know, her prompt outcry witness helped pinpoint the date better. Or, you know, even she said, I wasn't entirely sure if, uh, you know, it was a completed rape, which in New York requires um, a penis to be inserted in a vagina. Uh, contact is not enough. It has to have penetration. And, and her testimony was a little bit, you know, she was so she was fighting him off. And therefore, she wasn't sure exactly what was happening. Um, and, the, and the verdict reflected that and, you know, reflected the fact that she, but it shows how careful she was in her testimony. She only said what she remembered and not what she didn't. And she held her own against, frankly, an extremely, um, it extremely, um, I, I don't want to say old school because 
old school can be a good thing. It's, it's offensively old school, like, like backward, you know, just what, what you would have seen decades ago, kind of cross-examination where, um, you know, it reminds me of, um, of, you know, have you ever heard of denim day? Denim day is, so denim day is this amazing day. Um, when I was at the DA's office, we would, we would observe it. It's once a year, everyone in the office would wear denim. It's a, it's a worldwide, um, day that is observed. I don't remember the exact date right now. Um, I'm sure Salty will find it and put it up (laughs) for us, but, uh, but Denim Day came out of a court case in Italy where a woman said she was raped and she was wearing blue jeans and she was, and there was a conviction and the judge overturned the conviction because he said it's physically impossible. It would have been physically impossible uh, for the man to get the blue jeans off by himself because they were tight. So she must have consented and reversed the case. And in solidarity, the very next day, all the women in the Italian parliament wore jeans to, um, to work. And so did, you know, lots of other people. And so Mm -hmm. it's a, it's a, anyway. And so it, the type of cross examination that happened in this case reminds me of the kind of thinking that that judge had, you know, that backward thinking that, you know, the, the way a woman's dressed somehow, you know, somehow for her to be violated. Yeah. Exactly. Or perhaps it didn't happen that way. You know, I remember when I was a sex crimes prosecutor and don't forget, this was civil. This was not criminal. But um, when I was a sex crimes prosecutor, so many there were so many myths that you had to dispel for the jury. So we would always call an expert to explain lots of these things. And some of the things they would say, which makes all the sense in the world is, you know, if you're a woman and you're being sexually assaulted, if someone's, you know, violently raping you, many women, most women, but many women will, uh, will acquiesce just so they don't get injured more, you know, because if you, if you fight so hard, it's going to hurt more and they might hurt you more. And so as they are forcing you in order to keep it so that it doesn't hurt as bad, sometimes, you know, it makes all the sense in the world who wouldn't do that. Right. But, but again, so many people would think that's something that, you know, Oh, therefore she, she consented. No, absolutely not. That's a myth. And so the cross-examination of E. Jean Carroll was along those lines. You didn't scream. You didn't, you know, all, all the things that, that they, that in Joe Tacopina's mind thinks a sexual assault victim, a rape victim should have done. Well, guess what? There is no perfect way to respond to a sexual assault. There is no script, right? There's no like, if this happens, you must react this way. And or really um, any, any frightening, I mean, I, I don't know, I'm going to share this. I, I could be totally alone with this and maybe it's a universal situation, but not only, um, you know, sexual assault, but I think any kind of situation where we were we were put in just this you know there's that paralysis sometimes that comes when you're put in very fearful situations i literally have had dreams for years that i am in some kind of scary situation and i can't speak or i can't move um and i i had a similar situation where i was in a very dangerous situation on a train track in spain this is not a dream a real thing where i could literally not open my mouth for a moment. It took, it was so fearful and, um, 
and you know paralyzing that I literally could not utter a word and and to to not be able to empathize with someone who is being sexually assaulted that they might not be able to conjure the words or like you're saying the actions to free themselves from that kind of situation um like you said is very backwards thinking it is and and he crossed you know his cross examination of her it's it's like violating her all over again and to think that you know, it's it's important. Our legal system allows cross examination. Of course, that should happen, but you shouldn't be allowed to violate the person a second time, which is really what he did. And it was offensive, but it clearly backfired. And you know, juries, I think, are much more knowledgeable. There's no way that that was going to fly in this kind of case. I don't know why he thought it would or thought it would be effective. So um, clearly, they believed her and. This is a resounding victory for E. Jean Carroll. And I wonder whether she'll bring uh, further defamation charges based on the town hall meeting that Donald Trump, where he, you know, where he said all those terrible things about her again. You know, it, it'll be interesting because I think the I think that might have to be brought in New Hampshire since that's where the town hall was. And I also wonder whether what damages she can show happened from the trial to the town hall, uh, um, you know, that, that she didn't already get damages awarded for. So it'll just be sort of interesting. I guess she could get punitive damages, but, you know, it'll be interesting to see if she makes that choice to bring it again, just to hold him accountable for continuing his behavior. He just doesn't stop. He doesn't learn. He doesn't learn. The, we we can learn. We're sane. We have the ability. I mean, media networks, we know we they do not have to platform him. We're going to talk more about that. And I can't wait to talk more about that with you, Karen. But I want to ask you, because I'm always thinking, like I said, this again, in, you were describing this is a civil case. This is the victim bringing this case. This is not the, um, the you know, the Justice Department or um, or a DA. But I I'm always thinking about the freedom of Donald Trump vis-a-vis the incarceration and punishment of normal Americans across this country who have committed crimes like he has or much less. And um, I was so curious to hear from you, especially because of your background as a prosecutor, just to give us all perspective of what an insane situation, not only that Trump is a free man, that he's a free man running for president again. Um, Just to put put this all in perspective, can you tell me, Karen, what kind of sentences people who would be criminally um, prosecuted and convicted of sexual battery in New York might face. Um, yeah, so he he was so he was not uh, found liable of the right. of rape, which is the highest charge. Yeah. But sex abuse, the, the equivalent criminally would be sex abuse in the first degree, mm-hmm. which is a felony. And uh, depending on, so the law has changed over time. And in 1996 or seven, when this occurred, I'm not, I'd have to look back at what the sentencing range was there. But, you know, you can get a a lot of, you can get substantial jail time for sex abuse in the first degree. You know, you go to prison for that and you'd have to register as a sex offender for life. Yeah. So years in prison. Right. Yeah. Years, years yeah. in prison. Yeah. Years in prison. Yeah. yeah. So that's that's let's just say in a perfect world where justice was meted 
down for, for the crimes of Donald Trump, he would be incarcerated for years for what this civil jury just found him liable for. In, yeah, he would. He absolutely would, because yeah. sexual abuse in the first degree is defined as the touching of the sexual or intimate parts of the body by force. And he used force. And he, you know, he had his hand in her vagina. I mean, his fingers and her, his hand. I mean, that's, you know, absolutely, uh, you know, with the testimony that she gave, a judge would give him substantial prison time for sure. Yeah. Well, speaking of prison time, we had we had Trump's progeny, uh, George Anthony DeVolder, DeVolder Santos, finally charged. I mean, again, just absolutely obscene that this man remains a member of our Congress, that he was not expelled long before he was even sat or sworn in. But progress again this week, he was charged with 13 federal charges, seven counts of wire fraud, three counts of money laundering, one count of theft of public funds, and two counts of making materially false statements to the House of Representatives. Um, so here we here we have the federal DOJ bringing these charges against Trump. I want or <laughs> just use so much like Trump. I, they're like the same person um, against Santos, DeVolder, George Anthony DeVolder Santos. Um, I, I want to get your your thoughts on where we are and where we should be with federal prosecution of Donald Trump. I mean, it's late, isn't it, Karen? We need to we need to get a move on this, don't we? Yeah, I mean, look, this is this is the thing. You know, as a prosecutor, you can investigate something to death. You know, there there are very few cases that, especially big cases that you know are just Tiny, you know that that you can just easily do and are short and quick, and so you can literally investigate a case to death. And and you because you can always keep going. There's always more. There's always something else that you can learn about the person, about the crime, about who they were. You know, whatever it is, there's always somewhere else you can go. And and when I was a supervisor of prosecutors, you know, you had all different types of of prosecutors, right? And there were some who were the absolute best investigators and, and they would truly, I mean, investigate something to death. And, and there are some cases that you need that because without that, you can't make the case. And, you know, I remember a particular homicide case that was, I found very vexing and, and was very um, just kind of a white whale of, of ours in the office, it took almost six years to investigate and finally solve that case because it was so complicated and had so many different um, facets to it. And, you know, but there, but there are other cases and, and generally speaking, there are other cases that at some point you have to pull the trigger and you have to go, you have to be able to shape all of that in all of that information that you've obtained into a case because otherwise you could investigate it to death. And, and, and Santos, I think is a perfect example, right? There is someone whose entire life is a complete lie. I mean, I am sure the more you investigate, the more you will find that there are so many lies out there that you can't even begin to scratch the surface. And this 13 count indictment, this doesn't even come close to being the only things he's done. But you know what? Rather than letting the perfect be the enemy of the very good, yeah. the Eastern District of New York, what they did was they took what they had, they yeah. shaped it into a case because it's sometimes it's more important when you bring the case and to bring the case, then not to bring it at Amen. all. And, 
And, you know, in the, in the murder case that I was thinking of, the one that was vexing to me because it took us six years, this is one where the father, you know, the father kills the mother. And for those six years, the father lived with those young children and was their father. And every minute of every day, I couldn't live with myself because I felt like, you know, the longer this goes, A, that he could harm them, but B, once he finally is arrested, now they're going to have lost both parents, one who was the only, you know what I mean? One who was the only yeah. one there with them. And so anyway, it was just, you got to sometimes be able to do this. And, and Trump is a perfect example of that. It's not just about bringing the case, but it's also about timing. And I will give Jack Smith, who who is an incredible investigator and an incredible case maker, by the way. You know, I, I used to work with him. I, I know his work. He can make a case and he's phenomenal, but it's time, you know, for him to pull the trigger. And, and unfortunately the department of justice for a whole year didn't even start investigating the January 6th case versus, you know, vis-a-vis -vis Donald Trump. They were just focusing on the, the lower level people. And it wasn't until the select committee, did the heroic job of holding the hearings, the Jan 6 hearings that they did, that I think the Department of Justice woke up and said, you know what, we really can't ignore this. It really is worse than we thought. And we have to start investigating that case. So they were already a year behind. And then it took time to, you know, appoint the special prosecutor and Jack Smith to get up to speed. The January 6th case is pretty big and pretty sweeping. But guess what? They've already prosecuted about a thousand people for it. So, you know, they, they at a certain point, they're going to have to make a decision to, to go forward with, with it against Donald Trump. But the Mar-a-Lago documents case, not that complicated and not that difficult and isn't a sweeping, huge, you know, election interference, you know, let's figure out all the fake elector schemes and, you know, all the, all the things that we know they're, they're doing that is complicated and, and big and sweeping and has lots and lots and lots and lots of people. Mar-a-Lago is an open and shut case, you know, and, 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 Jackson, and Jackson that, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I get a little crazy sometimes. No, no. I love the enthusiasm. Not only no, that. It's an open and shut case, but not only that, the CNN town hall that, a lot of people are criticizing. Frankly, that was a goldmine for prosecutors. He made statements there that are going to be used against him in the Mar-a-Lago documents case. He locked himself into a defense. He was, you know, it would have been one thing for him to say, you know what, I didn't know. They packed it up really quickly. I didn't know it was in those boxes. You know what he said at the CNN town hall? He's, he, he already took that defense off the table. What he said was, I knew they were there. I mean, I'm paraphrasing, obviously, but yeah, I took those boxes. I can take those boxes. I can do whatever I want, which he can't. You know, that's a case that needs to be brought. And and so and, I, and he can. And Jack he, Smith does not have to issue a an indictment that encompasses everything at once, right? I mean, he no. can he can he can come out of the gate with the Mar-a-Lago and then issue a superseding indictment to bring in all the January sixth charges. Can you know he? what? He, he won't do it that way because they're not related. What he'll do is he'll do separate indictments. Separate, okay. But yeah, so they'll be separate. So the Mar-a-Lago case will be on its own. The January 6th indictments, if he's indicted, will be potentially with the fake elector, you know, the that could all be one giant case or it could be separate, you know, but the, the state by state John Eastman fake elector scheme um, is somewhat related to January 6th because it's all about the big lie and what he knew and didn't know. So that could be 
um, potentially one or two separate indictments, depending on the theory and how they do that. Um, so, you know, there's, and then there's the more recent uh, case with the campaign donations, um, you know, the, the mail and wire fraud cases that we think that they're investigating about lying to donors about uh, what they're going to use campaign donations for. And we know that's another one. That, so, so Donald Trump could have as many as four or five indictments, you know, for all we know. And, um, and, and there's something to that, right? Because A, you get different judges, which isn't the worst thing in the world, um, depending on, on where they are. Because, you know, you never know who you might get. But B, some of them just aren't related. And, and, and again, cases can get too big and unruly and unwieldy, which is why sometimes you just have to, like George Santos, take, you know, He's this guy. George Santos has this many crimes, you know, to prove mm -hmm. this many crimes might be too difficult. So let's carve it off and let's just, you know, you can prove this many. They're easy. Yeah. Let's just go. You know, one of my favorite so acronyms, KISS. Keep it simple, stupid. Right. Keep it simple. <laughs> yeah. Let's just so, get this done. <laughs> yeah. So you know what? I'll give you another example. Alvin Bragg. OK, perfect example. He had the Stormy Daniels slash investigation. Stormy Daniels slash investigation interference case, right? The the one that he indicted. He also ha has the other case that was the huge um, asset valuation case that is the criminal companion to the New York State Attorney General's $250 million lawsuit. Against uh, Letitia James. Yeah, yeah, against, against um, yeah, so, and Trump, yeah, that, that case is the civil companion to the Alvin Bragg criminal case. If you recall, that's the one where the prosecutor, Pomerantz Mark and, Pomerantz Dunn. Yeah. and Carrie Dunn resigned very publicly because of that case. And um, Alvin Bragg could have very easily said, I'm not ready to bring an indictment. I want to investigate all of it. I want to have it all perfect. And then I'll just bring one big case. But he didn't. You know, again, he took that straightforward Stormy Daniels yes. case that he had yes. and he and, brought charges. Yep. And he's still investigating the other one. Yeah. And I wouldn't be surprised if you see another indictment if, you know, if it's still viable, given, you know, the po politicization of that case um, by, by the book that was written by Mark Pomerantz, who, by the way, today was testified before the the. Um, the Senate Judiciary Committee um, in Washington, you know, where he was called, um, you know, under the guise of, of, you know, looking at legislation. Was it the House Judiciary Committee or the yes. Senate Judiciary oh, Committee? Oh, definitely the House? the House. Definitely the oh, clown House. show okay. in the House. Yeah, yeah the gym. Yeah, that's what, I, that's what I yeah. thought. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I thought. That's why I corrected myself. I'm like, no, that's not the Senate. Um, anyway, um, he testified today and he took the fifth. Wow. Wow. Good for him. Well, we're going to all these things tie together to me because you're talking about the need for indictments. We're late on this. All of these things have implications. We would not have. I mean, I ha I am dubious about polls to begin with, but we would not have a Donald Trump leading the Republican pack as um, the, the leading presidential candidate with all this apparent support in the country if he had been charged and prosecuted and properly branded as the criminal defendant that he is and should be in so many cases long ago. I think this all ties into what's going on um, with the platforming of him, this regressive insanity that we witnessed this week on CNN. We're going to talk about it more, but for a minute, let's take a moment for our sponsors. This episode is sponsored by Lomi. What's better than growing fresh vegetables right in your own backyard with nutrients that came right out of your kitchen? Well, it's all possible thanks to Lomi. Now that I have a Lomi, it's changed the way I think about my food waste. 
Lomi transforms my garbage into gold at the push of a button. Lomi is a countertop electric composter that turns food scraps to dirt in under four hours. Now I love composting. Plus, it's make, made cooking at home even more fun. There's no food rotting in the garbage and smelling up the kitchen. Thanks to Lomi, I have much less trash to take out, and it's a hassle-free, mess-free experience. No leaking trash bags. And the best part is that my waste is being turned into nutrient-rich dirt that I can feed to my plants. That means it's not going to landfills and producing methane gas. I get to help the environment and make my life easier. And all my food scraps, plant clippings, and even unwanted leftovers go back into my garden, helping me grow more nutritious food right in my backyard. I learned that food waste makes up a huge portion of our personal carbon footprint. By reducing the amount of food I send to landfill, I'm helping to do my part for the planet. So whether you want to start making a positive environmental impact or just grow a beautiful garden, Lomi is perfect for you. Head to Lomi.com lights and use the promo code lights to get $50 off your Lomi. That's $50 off when you head to Lomi.com lights and use the promo code lights at checkout. Thank you, Lomi, for sponsoring this episode. Turn your food waste into dirt with the press of a button with Lomi. Use the code LIGHTS to save $50 at Lomi.com slash LIGHTS. Um, by the way, I'm a huge Lomi fan. I didn't have any idea about uh, methane coming from food waste and in the garbage. I, I genuinely hadn't. It was not something I was aware of, and I, I learned about it from Lomi. And now yeah. I've got like, I've gone a little crazy with the Lomi. I absolutely, like I'll go to restaurants and I'll ask for a to-go container for all the scraps at the table just to Lomi it, you know, you like them, yeah. I do. My, hus my husband thinks I'm a little crazy, but I just think it's important and I do use it in my garden. So anyway, I'm, I'm a little obsessive about my Lomi, but anyway, we can go back to our, our show, take but it, I do love it. Take it from Karen, luminaries. Take it from Karen. Check it like out. Order a Lomi. It's, <laughs> not, it's, not, it's not cheap. It's not, it's not cheap. Um, you know, but it's, I think it's important. It's a really important, important thing to do for our environment. When you start reading about food waste and, and what it does, you know, to the, to whatever. Anyway, I'm, I'm just a huge fan. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I, I hate waste. So I love that aspect of it. It's, it's, and it's something that I honestly never thought I could do, but it's very, very neat. Um, so I want to bring us back to this town hall, Karen. Um, <sighs> I think all of us, more than anything, you hear all this chatter about how ugly the audience reaction was, the laughter, the encouragement, the clapping. I mean, I, I think that the entire setup of this town hall, not only platforming Donald Trump a day after he is found civilly liable for being a sexual predator, but filling that room with a group of his supporters. And of course, I'm giving you this perspective as somebody who used to be one of his supporters who lived in an information silo of lies and misinformation. Um, and, and ultimately, these people expressed some really, you know, I think, um, shameful kind of reactions to some of the most horrible things he said in that in that uh, room on Wednesday night. But never forget, like I always try to remind people that Donald Trump's supporters are not only his supporters and followers, they're also his victims. 
they are victims of the entire right-wing propaganda machine. And that town hall just enabled this cycle of abuse in that room. Um, really, I felt like it was just a reviolation of the entire country after the progress that we have made, the progress in the legal system that was shown just this week, what we know that this man is capable of doing to damage um, to damage this country through lies and misinformation, to give him that that primetime platform. I want to play a clip from Anderson Cooper because I agree with part of it, but I sharply, sharply disagree with another part of it. Can we play that clip? The man you were so disturbed to see and hear from last night, that man is the front runner for the Republican nomination for president. And according to polling, no other Republican is even close. That man you were so upset to hear from last night, he may be president of the United States in less than two years. And that audience that upset you, that's a sampling of about half the country. They are your family members, your neighbors, and they are voting. And many said they're voting for him. Now, maybe you haven't been paying attention to him since he left office. Maybe you've been enjoying not hearing from him, thinking it can't happen again. Some investigation is gonna stop him. Well, it hasn't so far. So if last night showed anything, it showed it can happen again. It is happening again. He hasn't changed, and he is running hard. You have every right to be outraged today and angry and never watch this network again. But do you think staying in your silo and only listening to people you agree with is going to make that person go away? All right, Karen. <laughs> A lot to dissect there. I think the first... I'm going to get your feedback on this. I think the first part of what Anderson Cooper said is 100% right. We ignore Donald Trump at our peril. We ignore the threat that he faces at our peril. Um, and and we cannot, we cannot, that's part of why I have this show. And I, you know, I started the show in the midst of like an overwhelming amount of, of legal work and other pressures on me that I it's it's like moving heaven and earth to, to make this show go on once a week, but I did it because of what we're living through and, and realizing that we cannot stand, we can't stand down. The ones fighting for democracy, we can't afford to stand down or get or or you know um, put our guard down at any point throughout this process. Donald Trump absolutely still poses a very real threat to the future of the free world, to our democracy. And the the notion and possibility that he could be president again is unthinkable and something that we have to absolutely um, just really never sleep until we we make sure that is that never happens in this country. It would be the end of American democracy. But the second part, the second part about being in an information silo, um, like I said, I lived in that information silo that enabled Donald Trump to be the candidate in 2016 and become the president, that enables him to have any support whatsoever, whatsoever still in this country. I think that saying that he has the support of half the country is a little bit of an over-exaggeration. First of all, I mean, we know how inaccurate polls would be. Everybody was telling us there would be a red wave in this last midterm election. It was far from it. So polls are dubious in and of themselves. But yes, there is a, a far too large portion of America that still falls down this rabbit hole of believing him. The answer to that 
travesty that exists in our country is not to platform and mainstream the lies more. <laughs> it's to counteract them. There are plenty of people that networks like CNN could platform to help these people who are in that misinformation silo of Donald Trump and right-wing propaganda to combat this threat that we are facing. And instead, for ratings, learning absolutely nothing, literally um, just taking, like I said, this reckless step of, of platforming him again, have prolonged and expanded the danger that he poses. I'm going to tell you, Karen, I, I, you were never, you were never in the darkness that I was in 2016, but I'm going to tell you, I had better angels. I, there were plenty of, plenty of, um, intuitions and angel voices that I discounted in 2016 that I could have and should have listened to. And it was the mainstreaming of Donald Trump by people like, you know, that I respect so much, like Anderson Cooper, like, um, you know, even even prior to 16, people that had validated Donald Trump, like Oprah Winfrey, like Charlie Rose, like all of these very mainstream people that I looked at and said, well, look, they gave him a platform. They mainstreamed him. They validated him. He must be okay. He gave me this permission to discount my better angels, my better senses, and follow him. And it's happening all over again. CNN, networks like it have a huge role to play in being the leaders of, or, or in, in being a transparency for truth and progress for, towards democracy and freedom being preserved in this country instead of it being threatened more. Yeah. How did you feel after watching that town hall, Karen? Or did you watch it? <laughs> well, yeah, I did. I watched enough of it. You know, yeah. I mean, I have to start with I'm a legal analyst for CNN, right? So yes. take that for what it's worth. Um, yes. I can say and feel and do whatever I want, obviously. And, and they know that I'm part of the Midas Media, Net, you know, Midas Touch Media Network and um, that I do you know, legal AF and, and et cetera. But, um, you know, look, and by I, the way, Karen, I'm so grateful to have you here and have your, your willingness to discuss this, um, with yeah, those I dual mean, roles that you have. Yeah. I mean, look, cause you know, I, I guess I see it two different ways. Um, you know, and I, I, I think what I'm about to share might be slightly unpopular with, um, some of our followers and, um, but you know, this is a, a way, and I'm of mixed, I'm of mixed minds. I am of mixed minds. Uh, on the one hand, I very much agree with a lot of what you said or all of what you said. Um, and it disgusts me. He disgusts me. You know, the fact that he might be president again sc actually scares me. Um, he's, it's terrifying to me to see where our country is headed and it's something that, um, you know, we're all doing the best we can to try to beat it back, but, but it is scary. And, um, and so it was upsetting to, to hear him and to see that there's a, there's a little, there's a different, there's another way to think about it, maybe, 
Um, and again, I'm, I'm still of mixed mind. So, so this is, I'm still processing a lot of it and, and reading and thinking, but, but, you know, 2016. So, so let me, let me back up. I have a very big family, uh, extended family and we're all very different. Some of us are very liberal and some of us are very conservative. And there's a side of my family that is extremely conservative and they're Trump supporters and they're not, they're great people. They're not crazy. They're not uneducated and they're not even in a bubble. Um, they just, you know, and they know he lies. They don't care. You know, it's not a, it's not that they, they just think he's, you know, they, they, they are so disgusted with um, certain things that they just think, you know, they, they like that he's, you know, that he's breaking down, you know, things that they frustrate them. Um, and when 2016 was happening and we watched, everybody watched all the various, you know, debates, et cetera, very early on, I said to people, that's our next president, Donald Trump. And my bubble that I live in thought I was crazy and thought I had lose my, lost my mind. And these are the smartest people I know. I mean, brilliant people, just you're crazy. You absolutely lost your mind. And, and here he is, you know, he was president and I saw it coming as clear as day because I forced myself not to be in a bubble. I forced myself to not just watch certain things or read certain things or talk to certain people or not, you know, to, to not talk to the family and friends that, that have different opinions. Um, and, and so what I, th and, and if we're, if we're going to do, if the only way we are going to prevent the next election resulting in Donald Trump, I think, because, you know, let's be real. I love Joe Biden. He's a great guy. The perception is that he's too old. That is widely held perception by everyone, unfortunately. And Although he and Donald Trump are basically the same age, I don't know why no one thinks Donald Trump is too old, but for whatever reason, the perception of Biden be being too old is just out there. And I think people well, are worried. I mean, you, can, you can't forget that from day one, uh, Fox, Fox News and the like have been out there portraying him as this senile, um, you know, decrepit old man. I mean, that is a, that's part of it, but that's part of it. But you know, I, look, it is whatever it is, you know, I'm just saying that it's a reality. I don't know anyone who doesn't think, you know, he's, he's too old. Like the, some of the smartest we did a, people. We did know. a whole episode on, on age, a couple episodes back on light side. <laughs> I, look, I just, you know, again, this is, you, you have to live with what, what's out there. Right. And so you've got Biden versus Trump. And the only way we're going to beat him back, I mean, obviously we have to get the vote out and people have to have to really go out and vote. Hopefully Roe v. Wade was something that will get women out there to not vote for him. I, I'm hoping to God that does. But I think we also have to get out of our bubble. And the thing about CNN, what they did. At, so at first, I'll be honest, at first I was disgusted. I was so upset. But then honestly, when I watched it, it was, it was, if you watched the coverage of it during and after, they absolutely fact-checked him. And to me, that was important 
for people like me and others who have to also go back and talk to people like my family members and friends who feel differently, I need to hear what is it that he's that Trump is saying to them that resonates and what can I say back? And and play, look, the part about the, the, the CNN thing that I hated was the town hall format. I hated it. I hated the audience cheering him on. I thought that was terrible. And and that I, I actually think is a mistake and and do not. You know, I think that was a terrible idea. And I hope they they also think it was a terrible idea. I don't know. Um, but but having Donald Trump there and fact checking him, I, I thought Caitlin Collins did the best she could. She tried and she did a good job, actually. You know, she she really she didn't like sit there and just ask him softball questions and smile at him and be like, oh, okay. I mean, she said, yes, but, yes, but, what about this? What about this? What about this? You know, does he answer? No, he's a pathological narcissist who, you know, answers questions however he wants and continues to lie. But number one, the platform that he got for the country was the country saw what he is and who he is. They saw how disgusting he is. And that's important for people, not just you know his followers, but everybody else to see. Everybody has to see it. And to have CNN, to have Wolf Blitzer and Anderson Cooper and Jake Tapper and every single one of them Everyone except the Republican, a couple of the Republican, you know, commentators who also had a hard time defending him, by the way, every single one of them absolutely took him to task and analyzed and trashed him afterwards. And honestly, we had that. So to me, it's not like they legitimized him and gave him a platform and said, here, you know, here's your great message. I felt like what they did was was exactly what Anderson Cooper. I hadn't seen that clip that you just showed, by the way. I agree with everything Anderson Cooper said. I do. I don't just agree with the first half of it. I agree. This man might be president and much of the country likes him and wants him. We have to figure out how to fight this back and, and pretending like he doesn't exist and not watching what he does isn't going to work. We have to hear him and come up with the facts and the arguments and better ways you know, of, say, of doing it other than just name calling him back. When we, all, when we say things like, oh, he's despicable, he's disgusting, he's terrible, you know, all we're doing is we're being Donald Trump back. That's not effective. I don't, I don't care like in terms of it hurts his feelings, but that's not effective. What's yeah, well, that's where I think that's where I think the legal system comes in because there is no bullshit yeah. in the legal system. It's Correct. just like here's the law Correct. coming down. We're handling yes. this situation, but right. you know, there, I want to. I want to. Yeah. yeah. No, I just want to like I want to validate a couple of things you said because there there are perspectives. I mean, we're coming at this from different places. Like I have, I have a way that I deal with Trump supporters because I used to be them, you know? So I have all this kind of this arsenal of like being able to deconstruct all of these arguments that I used to believe myself. You know, when they say he's a fighter, I'm like, show me where he's a fighter and let me tell you why what he's really doing is not fighting and, you know, breaking down, you know, bureaucracy. He's destroying bureaucracy. He's destroying, you know, the, the foundations of public service. And we're going to take a minute to talk about one of those public servants who he really destroyed, who we could really use in public service right now in a minute. But um, I understand that, Karen, from your perspective, because you, you're you looking and there's a lot of Americans out there. And I know a lot of our luminaries, too, have family like yours that are looking for tools to combat this misinformation. And I appreciate that. I totally appreciate it. The problem that I have, this is the problem that I have, is that 
like I said, they are validating him. I'm going to tell you some, I, I try to share, I try to be as transparent and, and honest on this program as I possibly can. That's all I want to do about the, the, the ignorance that I foster, that I permitted myself to, um, to, you know, this bubble that I allowed myself to live in, in 2016. And there were debate performances in 2016 that the media writ large criticized Trump for, that they called him out on his lies. They called him out on the way he was predatory against uh, Hillary Clinton in that in that St. Louis debate. They criticized him for, you know, kind of deconstructing the second in the second half of that first debate at Hofstra and just kind of losing control. I'm going to tell you something as a Trump supporter and liking this kind of, you know, bravado bluster that this this persona that is Donald Trump, none of those criticisms mattered to me at the time. His performance was enough. As ugly as it was, it was none of the facts mattered. None of the criticisms mattered. I saw, oh, there's my guy, there's my candidate doing what he does best. And the platform itself validated him for me. And my fear, we, our problem is we have a majority of this country who is sane, who understands that Donald Trump is, is a, is a monstrosity and a threat and despicable, all those adjectives that you're describing him as. Our problem is, like you said, the family members, the other people that we need to persuade, that we need to wake up, that we need to lead shine lights for and lead the way for by setting an example and saying this is not someone um this is someone who belongs in prison for his sexual misconduct if not for his violation of you know his theft of classified documents and maybe seditious conspiracy and obstructing congress this is a man who belongs in prison not on a national stage we i just i'm such a strong believer that we each have such power to influence for good or for bad our fellow citizens our neighbors our friends our family strangers whoever we each hold so much power to be that example and i just feel like this we're doing this all over again we have lessons that we could be learning from and not doing this all over again and instead we are validating him and mainstreaming him. But <laughs> I understand your perspective, Karen, and I'm so grateful that no, no, you I mean, and- like my, my, my perspective is, you know, and I started it with, I'm still, I'm still processing it yeah. and I have mixed feelings. Like, yeah. I don't disagree with anything you just said. Um, yeah. It is, you know, it's tricky. You know, I, I do yeah. think it's tricky. I mean, look, as a pro, like, to be completely honest, you know, when yeah. I was watching it, I was like, thrilled because he gave so many great statements for the prosecutors. For the like, prosecutors. Oh my God. I was like, this is, this is prosecutorial gold, you know, yeah. like for yeah. all his cases, you know, I, I was just, but obviously that's, you know, that's not a reason to give someone a platform, but right. you know, he kind of does that every day on his, on truth. So, I mean, truth social, right? He yeah. Gives no, but them this ammunition was, every single day. <laughs> yes. But this was different. This was different. Mm-hmm. This was blockbuster prosecutor statements that are going mm-hmm. to help those cases. So, yeah. 
Um, again, I'm not saying that was a reason to do it, but you know, yeah. again, I was just looking at it from that perspective, but I, look, I hear you and I don't disagree. Um, it's concerning and I'm, I'm, I, the whole thing is a little bit concerning and uh, I think we'll see, we'll see if, if this continues and, 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 you know, he, whatever, like, let's just, let's see. I, 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 I don't disagree with you at all, but, but I, I do have some mixed feelings about it because I do think we have to figure out as a country, um, not just to keep him from being the next president, but also for unifying ourselves again, you know, we were yeah. so divided and, yeah. and that, you know, unfortunately I just, I worry about the health of our nation at large, you know, if we're so divided and there's so much anger and animosity and there's so many mass shootings as a, you know, like we just, we have so many, I don't know, we, it just, it feels very much like, you know, and I was just abroad in several other countries um, and they just don't have this, you know, they don't have the, this kind of polarization the way we do. And, you know, I remember after 9-11, you know, everybody came together and it was a, it was a pretty wonderful thing. Our country was unified and, you know, united we stand, divided we fall. That's, that's our country was founded on that. And we need to figure out a way to, to get back together. And he's very divisive. He, he, he divides us. But again, even if he loses the election, there's still a lot of people out there who, who, feel who, who we are so far apart from. And, and I, I want to find a way to bridge the gap and bridge bring our divide. country back together. Yeah. Yeah. When you were talking about your family who supports him, I thought I, I can't help when I, when I know there's people out there who are, like you said, educated and intelligent and, and good hearted people and good hearted people. This is what I try to share too. I'm like, do not demonize the supporters, demonize the malicious politicians like Trump and the GOP who who knowingly spread these lies do not demonize the people who are sucked into them um but i i can't help but think of the networks like Fox News that do are in 24/7 mode to divide to separate us from one another to um cast the people the politicians and the the public servants in this country who are actually trying to help us to cast them as evil people um and one of one of uh, the women who was a victim of this, who stepped out this week, who I wanted to shine a light on, her name is um, Nina Jankowicz. And I think this is, it's so relevant, especially today with the end of Title 42, um, because her job, she was appointed to this um, dif disinformation governance board that was set up by the Department of Homeland Security in March of 2022. And she's a expert on disinformation, on Russian disinformation. This is her, this is her field. Um, she's lauded in this field. And there is a great need to combat disinformation um, on a number of fronts, on, on the election disinformation, Russian disinformation, and particularly um, as, it, as it relates to um, false information propagated by human smugglers encouraging migrants to surge the Mexico-United States border. I mean, you would think all these Republicans who are always trying to politicize and use uh, 
human beings as pawns in this this political theater that they they put on around the border um, that they would understand more than anyone the need for for misinformation not to be spread when it comes <clears throat> to issues about immigration and border security but of course they don't they're not good faith actors they attack this woman they cast this disinformation board <clears throat> as as a as a attack on free speech. They tried to um, paint it as the Biden administration trying to police speech in this country, which is such a such a, a ridiculous and obscene suggestion. I happen to know very well about which forces in this country are trying to police speech. I've been fighting them for going on six years now. Um, but Nina Jankowicz was, was just demonized and attacked, threatened. Um, she withdrew from this position that uh, Disinformation Governance Board dis dismantled. Their work was put to the side because of these attacks from the right wing. They just decided to, you know, they were going to find themselves a target and an enemy with her, all, all just for their political performance. Um, and really the, the gaslighting that they engage in to distract from their own oppressive anti-freedom behavior. And this week, Nina Jankowicz came out and filed um, a defamation suit against Fox News. And I just, I wanted to, to shine a light on that and recognize her because I think it's another beautiful step. Um, I know she's been, it apparently has been wanting to do this for quite some time. And the progress that was made by Dominion, I would argue the progress that was made by Abby Grossberg um, in, in, really bringing um, revelations out in that Dominion suit and then having her own defamation suit against Fox News really kind of set the stage and enabled Gina Nina Jankowicz to finally file her own suit. So there's just another woman using the legal system to um, hold these lies to account, hold this division to account. This was, this was something that resonated with me so much. And a lot of sometimes when people tune in for the first time on Lights On, they say, Jessica, can you talk more about how you got out of, of the Trump misinformation bubble? How did you get out of that cult? What was your awakening? And I encourage our viewers, if you're seeing me for the first time, go back, watch some of the earlier episodes. I talk a lot about this, but one of the things that helped me wake up was seeing how public servants like Nina Jankowicz were so attacked and destroyed. Their reputations were, um, they were slandered and um, their just whole lives were upended because they were needed as pawns in this this political game that has no regard for human life, for the, the welfare of the public. I saw so many other public servants, and I, I never actually worked in federal government, but I worked on the campaign and I went to that campaign with a spirit of public service. That was really my my ideal. It would have been an honor to to follow through with public service in the federal in, in the federal government. And that was that was my motive was just to help. Um, and I and I saw people with that same motive that I had had just be absolutely destroyed um, for no reason other than they were useful pawns for these very bad actors. Um, so, you know, I relate to her in that sense. And I'm very grateful that she's taking her power back and, and holding Fox News accountable this week. That's great. All, a lot of women, strong women, yeah. you know, yeah. more, you know, it's interesting how women are the ones who ultimately have the courage to do it. So, 
Yeah, yeah, we do. We do. And I wanted to I wanted to share just because this is um this is, you know, kind of a special um surfacing of of our the precedent that I set in my case. I of course invalidated Donald Trump's uh campaign non-disclosure agreement. I'm sure Karen, you're familiar with um the recent $500 million lawsuit that Donald Trump brought against Michael Cohen, oh, this uh, witness. What a bully. Inti- uh, He's such a bully. Such a bully. Witness intimidation tactic. In, in my totally. Opinion. I mean, just look at the, t- look at the timing. He had yeah. years and years to, you know, bring something against, uh, what is it? Five years, you know, or how, I have it, I have it written down um, in my notes, but he has years and he had years to bring this case um you know, against Michael Cohen, if it was really something that he cared about, you know, based on, um, based on, you know, the podcast that he's done, the books that he's written, the interviews that he's done, he's been doing that for years. Right. And, and no, but he waited until he, yeah, he waited until, um, yeah, it was five years, right. He waited more than five years, uh, to bring this lawsuit. And it was a couple of days, I think, um, after After he was, after his indictment, so it's absolutely clear in terms of cause and effect or timing what that was right. about, and it's just absolutely—it's just you know blatant, uh, blatant witness intimidation. I mean, this yeah. is what he does. This is his playbook, right? Attack, threaten, retaliate, intimidate, right? That's his playbook, and that's what he does, and that's what he's doing here. And you know, half the half the claims, if not most, are are barred by the statute of limitations. He waited so long, you know. So this is just, you know, this is this is a witness intimidation both to Michael Cohen and to any future. By the way, this is oh, yeah. Donald Trump is is sending a message to any future people as much as he is to Michael Cohen. Absolutely, this just like my case here. with the NDAs when they came right. after me, it was yeah, very right. much a signal. Right. If there's anybody yeah. else out there like Jessica Denson yep. who tries to speak out and challenge us, we're going to try to destroy you. <laughs> but and that's what uh, that's what he's doing. And and the good thing is, you know, in this case, they got Judge Darren Gales who. Uh, is an Obama appointee, very smart yeah. judge. And Michael Cohen has a great lawyer. Donning didn't work out so well for them down work. in Florida. <laughs> and Michael has a great lawyer who I work with a lot. Her name's Donya Perry. She's, yeah. you know, the best there is. Um, and she wrote a, a brilliant um, 12B6 motion uh, to dismiss for failure to state a claim. The footnotes are hilarious if anyone wants to read it. Um, <laughs> You know, it's just it's it's a really good uh, motion motion to dismiss. And, you know, he's just he's vindictive, you know, and and this is a you know, there's a quote in in her motion that I love that I wrote down. It says, you know, this suit combines the worst of Mr. Trump's vindictive impulses. The complaint frivolous and scattershot is an abusive act of pure retaliation and witness intimidation, albeit a ham fisted one. I mean, you know, if that doesn't spell out exactly what this is perfectly and, you know, so we'll see what happens, but you know, good luck with that. He's, that's just, um, that's just, it's a ridiculous, it's a ridiculous complaint to begin with. Yeah. To the, to the extent that it's a discernible complaint, it appears to be part of it, a a contract claim, um, for breach of contract, which when I first read it, there were, there were quotes of an NDA and I'm like, oh my God, this looks so much like the Trump campaign non-disclosure agreement that I invalidated in court, which happens to be the campaign, the 2016 campaign non-disclosure agreement. We have always believed that this is very likely, um, a regurgitation of kind of 
boilerplate NDA language that the Trump org has used for years. So when I saw that, I thought, wow, I wonder, um, it, it sure does look like the, the NDA that we invalidated. And sure enough, Danya Perry um, and Benjamin Brodsky cited our case numerous times um, in this brief, in this motion to dismiss. Um, one of the things they quoted from, from our precedent that we where we invalidated this NDA back in 2021 was um, where a non-disclosure a provision operates to, quote, chill speech, quote, about matters of public interest. It is, quote, harmful not only to the party subject to the provision, quote, but also to the general public. And citing from my case, Denson. Um, and I was, I was just so happy to see, you know, when I started this back in 2017, you know this, Karen, without a lawyer, it was really just, it was just me doing what was right the morally right thing in my own experience. I think if we can, you know, take this theme of progress and these these forces that are trying to bring us back um, and, and incorporate it right here in this episode, I took that step that was not a political choice. It was not a, um, it was just a, a decision about being progressive and standing up for who I was as a woman in that moment back in 2017 and to see that fight um, that has has had so many ups and downs have these reverberations fighting against this uh you know serving to to dismantle the lawlessness of donald trump just this week again in this case for michael cohen is really special to me um and and my team also my my team that i have amassed um, on that NDA case at Protect Democracy. This actually isn't even the first time that they've helped out Michael Cohen. They submitted an amicus brief back in 2020 when Trump and Bill Barr tried to remand him for prison unless he would agree not to publish his book. So, um, you know, the, the pro-democracy forces are at work here. Um, and I'm, I'm so grateful that our case is able to be part of that. That's incredible. You should be so proud. That's really fantastic. I'm, I'm very, very, uh, very happy. Um, one other thing that I want to close us with just from the months, the obscenity that was that town hall, the one thing that, that you were talking about, what it did for you and for prosecutors, there was one thing it brought to light for me. Um, he made a comment, Donald Trump did, about the January 6th defendants in response to a question of whether or not he would pardon them. And he said, he suggested, of course, that he would pardon a large portion of them. And he made the comment that, quote, they've persecuted these people. They're living in hell right now. And I've discussed before how this is this is gaslighting um, and just use. He continues to use these defendants. Donald Trump does who he cre who he turned into criminals. He turned these individuals into criminals to do his bidding, in to dismantle a democracy based on a lie. And he continues to use them as pawns, suggesting that they're living through hell. Um, they're not living through hell. I mean, jail is a is a very unpleasant experience, but they're they're getting their due process rights afforded in this country, um, in in the way that our criminal justice system works. But there are people around the world who are are living in hell because 
of tyrants like Donald Trump. And I want to take a moment to just shine a light on some of them to get our perspective right here about who is living in hell in this fight for democracy and freedom and what the stakes are if we don't handle somebody like Donald Trump. So I'm going to take a trip around the world, starting in Russia with someone who is never far from my thought, an absolute hero, Vladimir Karamurza. He is the Russian opposition leader who, like Alexei Navalny, survived poisoning attempts. And in Vladimir's case, two poisoning attempts he survived. And he returned to Russia after the start of Putin's war on Ukraine because he wanted to represent Russians. He wanted to say, I'm a Russian who knows that this country does not support Putin and we need leaders from within to fight this corruption and oppression and terrorism. And he knew he would be arrested and he was. And he is now serving a sentence of 25 years for treason. This up is down um, judicial system that are in countries like Russia that we will become if we allow Donald Trump anywhere near the, the White House, the presidency of this country again. Um, he's serving a, a sentence of 25 years, uh, the longest sentence for political activity since the fall of the Soviet Union. I would say that Vladimir Karamurza might be living in some hell right now in Russia, but he is so brave. He is so resilient. Um, his wife, Eugenia, and three young children um, are always fighting for him and such an inspiration. Another person that's living through hell who has been held captive for far too long is Paul Whelan the 53-year-old Canadian-American and former U.S. Marine who's been detained since 2018 and is serving a 16-year sentence for spying, another one of those gaslit charges that Putin brings against people who um, he, he chooses to use as political pawns. Paul Whelan and his family might be living through some hell. Um, I know another person who's living through some hell and very brave woman, the mother of Austin Tice, Deborah Tice. Austin Tice is a freelance journalist who was abducted in Syria in 2012 while working for CBS and Washington Post. He's a U.S. Marine veteran. He's hasn't been seen for years, but is believed to be in the custody of the Syrian government. It's been almost 11 years that Austin Tice has been missing in Syria. I think he might be living through some hell and his family might be living through some hell. Let's go to China where Ding Xiaqi, a human rights lawyer, was sentenced to 12 years on a, a sentence again. The up is down authoritarian charges of, of governments that do not value freedom and human rights on subversion charges. Um, this is the latest move in the Chinese government's years-long crackdown on dissent. Ding Xiaqi's partner, Xu Xiang, was also sentenced to 12 years. They might be living through some hell right now. Another country that I'm always thinking about is the country that is led by Putin puppet Lukashenko, Belarus. In Belarus, brave, resilient woman, uh, Maria Kalasnikova. Belarusian opposition leader was sentenced to 11 years in Lukashenko's purge of dissidents for quote unquote damaging national security. She's been uh, treated for some serious health conditions 
while in uh, some of the most severe penal colonies in Belarus, Maria Kellis Nikava might be going through some hell, but I will tell you she is one amazingly resilient and and a positive woman, such a leader for freedom who has put her life on the line. Another political prisoner in Belarus, Mikita Zalataru. He was only 16 years old when he was detained by Lukashenko's regime in August of 2020. He suffers from epilepsy and was denied access to his medicine. He's spending his 19th year behind bars. He might be going through some hell right now but again, another brave and resilient young man. And of course, we can't forget about Iran, where so many dissidents and journalists have been prosecuted. According to the Committee to Protect Journalists, Iranian authorities authorities have arrested at least 95 uh, journalists since anti-government protests erupted across the country after the death of Masha Amini not to mention countless executions of everyday citizens who have stood up against the regime in Iran. One of those brave dissident journalists is Kayan Samimi, I'm sorry, Kayvan Samimi, who's been held at an undisclosed location without communication for, with his family for at least 22 days. Um, he was initially held in prison and released, but rearrested. His family does not know where he is. He's 74 years old. He suffers from a heart condition. He might be living through some hell right now. January 6th defendants, I don't know about the degree of the hell they're living in, but whatever degree it is, it, does, it pales in comparison to these heroes and dissidents and fighters for freedom around the world. And any hell that they're living through is because of their dear leader, their God, who they are free at any moment to renounce and and step away from following. Um, and that's the truth of the matter. That's, that's the up is up world, um, not the up is down world that Donald Trump would have us all living in. So thank you, Karen, so much for joining me today on Lights On. No, thank you for having me. And that was such a beautiful perspective, you know, to share and remind everyone of that perspective. And, you know, it's, it's great to have these conversations and to hear different perspectives, you know, because it's funny when I heard him say that, what I thought was different than what you're saying. What I thought was, yeah, of course, pr our prison system is barbaric in hell. Um, but the only reason you're saying it is because they're white. You know, black people which is the people who are in prison in our country are all people of color uh, yeah. by and large. And we've all known for a long time that it is hell and inhumane and needs to change and needs to be reformed and that we have mass incarceration, but it's been okay. But as soon as the white people go, look what they're going through. They're going through hell, you know, and he has those, he has those dog whistle or whatever, however, whatever you want to call it phrases, you know, he, he'll talk about, he'll talk about people, and people means uh, white people. You know, if he says, if he says, um, you know, a nasty person, that's a woman. A woman. If thug he says, is a black person. Thug is a black, a thug is a black person. Exactly. You, you know his yeah. language. A thug is a black yeah. person. A nasty person's a woman. Um, if Chinatown or, um, or, you know, anything like Chinatown or China virus, he means any Asian person, not just a Chinese person. And, you know, patriots are his followers. And, you know, people are white men. 
I mean, it's, it's true. That's just his language. And so for him, this is why it's apps, it's hell because it's white people who are in prison, you know, and, and that's why. Um, and it's funny I, that that's what I thought when I heard it, but you're absolutely right. And, um, and it's so great to keep the, these other people who are living in hell, keep their, you know, they're not their just, just their plight, you know, on the top of everyone's yes. mind. Yes. Yep. And they are, they are a, uh, warning to us of what we may become if we are not on alert, if we don't make sure that this progress that we made does not backslide, that we don't continue in the line of progress. Um, thank you to all of our luminaries. Thank you to Karen Friedman Agnifilo for joining me with this really open discussion, illuminating discussion today on Lights On. I want to ask everybody if you're watching, um, if you uh, follow us here on YouTube live, if you'll also go and subscribe wherever you get your audio podcasts, it really helps um, spread the news about lights on, that we exist, that we're out there and that we're shining a light. Um, if you can subscribe wherever you get your aud audio podcasts and leave us a review and a rating, that would really help um, share this program with anyone you know. Subscribe to um, um, the Midas Touch YouTube channel. You can also follow my YouTube channel where I will post any content I do both on this um, anchor program every Friday night, but also we're doing independent interviews, standalone interviews. I had a um, an interview that was extremely well received earlier this week with Representative James Tellerico of Texas. We talked about um, Christianity, hypocrisy in politics, faith without works, um, and the the this push for gun safety, just just the most basic gun safety. Um, you can find those on my YouTube channel. I'm everywhere on the socials at Jessica Denson 07. Um, and just thank you again for being with us, for using your power and shining your light. Until next week, we love our luminaries and shout out to the Midas Mighty.